you have two insecure, inexperienced, impulsive leaders in the most heavily militarized area on Earth. Yay! What could possibly go wrong? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's one reason. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, and 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, California. Also up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 KSO in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU. Columbus, Ohio's WGRN 94.1. Palinville, New York's WLPP 102.9 FM. Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR. Washington, D.C.'s 105.5 FM. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. Oh, and we're also heard streaming coast to coast and around the globe on the internets every single day of the week on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing Planet Earth. As long as it's still here, five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Before uh, everything goes to hell in a handbasket, and oh, it will, if only because I'm, uh, I'm opening up the lines today to talk about Donald Trump and North Korea. You got any thoughts on that? 818-985-5735 is our phone number, 818-985-KPFK. Um, but before that, uh, so I just want to make—oh, you can also tweet me, by the way. I'm uh, the Brad blog on the Twitters. Uh, before we get to all of that, I just want to make sure to note that if all else fails, Desi Doyen will join us at the end. <laughs> if all else fails, end, I will be there. At the end of the show. Not yes. the end of the world, per se, well, but the uh, end of the show. Uh, because today we are celebrating, it is our 800th episode. I know. Of the Green News Report. So, yay. Yeah, well, so will it be our last Green News Report? Well, we don't know uh, the way things are going. That's coming up in any event. Um, a Twitter follower tweeted out a, a bit of perspective from commentator uh, Casey Michelle last night saying uh, the tweet said, thanks to North Korea, it's a good time to revisit the hilarious way with which the U.S. conquered Guam. Well, maybe we could all use a bit of uh, a little bit, at least, of hilarity around here right around now. Michelle tweeted a quote from a book called First Great Triumph, How Five Americans Made Their Country a World Power by Warren Zimmerman, which basically details the rise of American imperialism 
uh, from the uh, from 1898 to 1903, when, as the uh, as the book details, in just five years, over a century ago, the U.S. essentially took over Cuba, Puerto Rico, the Philippines, Hawaii, Guam, Samoa, and indirectly Panama. The uh, hilarious way in which the U.S. conquered Guam as Michelle describes it, is as follows from the book. The circumstances were comic when on June 20, the USS Charleston lobbed a few shells at, abandoned, uh, at, at two abandoned forts on the island. The two local officials rode out to the American cruiser. They thought the attack was a salute and had come to apologize for their inability to return it. Captain Henry Glass explained that Spain and the U.S. were at war, that he was, in fact, attacking the island, not saluting it, and, by the way, uh, that those two men were under arrest. After some protocolary falderall, the governor and his garrison of 56 dumbstruck Spanish Marines surrendered to the U.S. Guam thus became America's second overseas colony after Midway. Who knew? Uh, Yeah, for those who don't know, Guam is still a U.S. territory. It is home to some 200,000 Americans and thousands of U.S. military troops uh, live on air bases out there. So there's that, because uh, I've seen a shocking number of people over the last uh, 24 hours or so have no idea that, yes, Guam is the U.S., With that in mind, uh, let's say you were a dictator and you wanted to convince your people that you were under siege from a great and powerful nation so that you could build up your military, keep your citizens on an incredibly short leash and control them and their every move because that great power was about to attack your country at any minute. And even though that attack had not yet come, the one that you had been warning about for decades... It was going to come, and it was going to come any second. And if you wanted to convince your people that America was really readying a massive attack on you, I can think of no more valuable, no more valuable gift to such a dictator to convince the people that this was true, to convince that dictator's people that this was true, and that this uh, threat, this attack, was dangerous, was coming any second, I can think of nothing more valuable than a statement like this from the American president. North Korea best not make any more threats to the United States. They will be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen. He has been very threatening uh, beyond a normal statement. And as I said, they will be met with fire, fury, and frankly, power, the likes of which this world has never seen before. Thank you. Okay, thank you. That was uh, the U.S. President Donald Trump on Tuesday giving a tremendous gift to uh, North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un. Trump was speaking at his golf club in Bedminster, New Jersey, during a press avail on the opioid epidemic. And as uh, Des, as we speculated yesterday, 
Uh, those comments, uh, remember we thought, well, were, are they just off the cuff? They were sort of, they appeared to be made up on the spot yes, at the time. Yes, yes they did, but then he repeated them, so it was kind of we, weird. He repeated them, and they were uh, unusually articulate and, and sort of poetic yeah. <laughs> in their uh, fire and fury. Um, it, they came following a report, a dubious one yesterday, by the way, citing uh, U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency uh, officials, uh, sources claiming that North Korea had achieved the miniaturization of nuclear weapons and that it could now fit them into an intercontinental missile that could potentially reach the mainland of the U.S. That DIA uh, report is questionable at best, but uh, others in the intelligence community have have since sort of uh, disregarded it, have poo-pooed it. And in theory, a real president might actually find out what is true or not true before offering this sort of uh, wildly incendiary remark about about attacking another nation with fire and fury, but not Donald Trump. As it turns out, he was making up the remarks on the spot, at least according to The New York Times. They report today that uh, Trump delivered his fire and fury threat to North uh, to North Korea on Tuesday with his arms folded, his jaw set, his eyes flitting on what appeared to be a single page of talking points set before him. But the piece of paper, as it turned out, was a fact sheet on the opioid crisis that he had come to talk about. And his ominous warning to Pyongyang was entirely improvised. That, according to several people with direct knowledge of what unfolded in discussions with advisors beforehand, he had not run that specific language by them, though he had talked over uh, possible responses in a general way. The inflammatory words quickly escalated the confrontation with North Korea to a new alarming level and were followed shortly by a new threat from North Korea to obliterate an American airbase on Guam. In the hours since, the president's advisors have sought to calm the situation, with Secretary of State Rex Tillerson assuring Americans that they, quote, should sleep at night without worrying about an imminent war. But the president's ad-libbed threats uh, reflected an evolving and still unsettled approach to one of the most dangerous hotspots in the world as Trump and his team debate diplomatic, economic and military options. The president's aides are divided on North Korea, as on other issues, with national security veterans like Defense Secretary Jim Mattis and Lieutenant General H.R. McMaster his uh, national security advisor on one side of the issue, and Steve Bannon, the president's chief strategist, and his allies on the other. While General McMaster and others consider North Korea a preeminent threat that requires a tough response, Bannon and the others in the nationalist wing argue that it is really just a subset of the administration's conflicts with China and that Trump should not give more prominence to an unstable rogue operator like Kim Jong-un. North Korea's leader. Um, that uh, so yes, the comments were made up uh, on the spot there by Trump, and uh, at least if the Times is to be believed, and the administration itself is split down the middle on how to actually proceed with uh, North Korea, with the military men on his staff, the ones that many have been forced to hope would hold the line of sanity in this administration, the military men calling for aggressive action, and the right-wing nuts, in this case Bannon and his crew, 
hoping to avoid a military confrontation, at least according to this report from The New York Times today, if you can trust it. But what a potentially disastrous mess. Of course, uh, not that long ago, in May of this year, Defense Secretary James Mattis was actually trying to calm the situation, according to remarks uh, cited last night by comedian Jim Jeffries on Comedy Central. Uh, here is uh, Defense Secretary Jim Mattis just in May with uh, Jeffries' comments thereafter. This week, the United States started preparing for a nuclear war with North Korea. Ah, don't worry about it. It's not happening yet. We're just on the verge of it. You can still enjoy this weekend and maybe even Monday and Tuesday. <laughs> well, that's actually the wrong clip there. I was my fault. I was uh, actually calling for clip number three. My mistake. Let's let's play that. Jim Jeffries uh, again, uh, citing Defense Secretary Jim Mattis. Conflict in North Korea would be probably. Uh, the worst uh, kind of fighting in most people's lifetimes. It would be a catastrophic war if this turns into uh, combat, if we're not able to resolve the situation through diplomatic means. That's our Secretary of Defense, James Mad Dog Mattis. Listen, when a guy called Mad Dog tells you to chill out, <laughs> chill the f out! <laughs> yes, I would like to. I would very much like to. Uh, yesterday on the show, uh, with that saber rattling from both North Korea and the U.S., I quipped about the dangers of a madman with nuclear weapons. But left it up to you whether I was referring to Kim Jong-un or uh, of North Korea or Donald Trump of the United States. Well, which madman are you most concerned about at this point? It may be a toss-up. But I would love to hear your thoughts on this uh, and everything else that's going on in relation to it. If you'd like to give us a call, 818-985-5735 is our phone number. And if you're listening live up and down California, or maybe I should say Target, California, or anywhere else in the world uh, live today, give us a call, 818-985-5735. Which madman are you most concerned about, Kim or Trump? Like you, uh, like the rest of the world, I, I don't actually know what to make of this moment. So I'd, I'd love to hear from you, uh, from as many of you as as, uh, as possible today. 818-985-5735. I've got some related stuff I want to plow through here, but I would, I'd love to open up the phones to your thoughts. Since, in truth, I think nobody actually knows what is going on. Nobody knows what to do about this, even though we all have some thoughts. Um, still, uh, despite the uh, Times reporting there that I mentioned uh, that the right-wing nationalists are against this sort of aggressive foreign interventionism, one of the hardest right nationalist advisors on Trump's crew took to a Fox today, I think this was, to, f to further support Trump's tough guy talk. Sebastian Gorka told Fox News, quote, He's saying don't test America and don't test Donald J. Trump. We are not just the superpower. We were a superpower. We are now a hyperpower. Nobody in the world, especially not North Korea, comes close to challenging our military capabilities. This is one of the advisors to Donald J. Trump, the president. Jeet here, uh, writer over at, uh, I believe, The Atlantic is where he uh, where he is now. Um, he talked about on, on Twitter, he said, uh, the existing nuclear deterrence theory 
you know, the idea that we won't actually use a nuclear weapon because the the guy we use it against could use one against us. That existing nuclear deterrence theory is predicated on all parties being rational actors. That, he says, is not the case here. I agree. 818-985-5735. Speaking in Guam today, uh, which is now the promised target of enveloping fire by North Korea, as they vowed yesterday uh, in response, or at least after Trump's offhanded fire and fury threats, uh, Secretary Tillerson in Guam, uh, as noted, said, I think Americans should sleep well at night. I have no concerns about this particular rhetoric of the last few days. Tillerson told that to reporters, adding, nothing I have seen and nothing I know of would indicate that, si- that the situation has dramatically changed in the last 24 hours. Feel better? 818-985-5735. Tillerson said President uh, Trump is, quote, just sending a message in language Kim Jong-un can understand. The global community has expressed its view that North Korea needs to stand down this program, said Tillerson. I think in response to that, the North Koreans' rhetoric has ratcheted up louder and louder and more threatening, he said. So I think that the president is doing is is sending a strong message in language that Kim Jong-un can understand because he doesn't seem to understand diplomatic language. In effect, the Times reports Trump and Tillerson became something of a good cop, bad cop combination, but that was more of an after-the-fact improvisation by the president's team than an, in, than an, an intentional strategy, they report. Well, nothing like improvisation when it comes to nuclear powers saber-rattling with each other. As I said, what could possibly go wrong? Senator Chris Murphy notes a president with no diplomatic experience chose a secretary of state with no diplomatic experience who chose not to hire anyone with diplomatic experience. That's correct. Ben Rhodes, the former foreign policy and speechwriter under President Obama, noted uh, that we have no assistant secretary of state for Asia, nor do we have an ambassador to South Korea. Because guess what? Trump has yet to nominate anyone to either post. Which is just remarkable. Last night on uh, on MSNBC, the uh, incredibly reasonable Joe Cirincione uh, of the Plowshares Fund, uh, they're a, a group which seeks to support and invest in organizations that help to reduce and someday eliminate the threat of nuclear weapons around the world somehow. Joe Cirincione uh, described the situation this way. The seriousness of this situation cannot be overestimated, not because North Korea can hit, hit us in a bolt-out-of-the-blue attack that could take out Los Angeles or Seattle. No. What you're worried about is that you have two insecure, inexperienced, impulsive leaders in control of a vast amount of destructive force squaring off in the most heavily militarized area on Earth. A conventional war could kill hundreds of thousands of South Koreans in the first few hours. A full-out conflict could kill millions, could devastate South Korea, removing the 11th largest economy on Earth.
And the danger is not that either leader would necessarily intentionally start such a war, but that they could stumble into it. A miscalculation, a miscommunication, a misunderstanding, a shooting incident could quickly escalate. Look at what North Korea just did. They just threatened Guam hours after the President of the United States said that if you threaten us again, you'll be met with fire and fury. They are blowing through this President's red lines like tissue paper. What is Trump going to do now? Yeah, good question. What is Trump going to do now? And the idea of stumbling into a nuclear... You know, I've seen... I've been reading a lot about this over the past 24 hours, and I've seen a lot of uh, experts or so-called experts saying, you know what, don't worry about that. We've seen this sort of rhetoric for years. We've seen... Uh, North Korea, you know, uh, promised to annihilate the U.S. for years. Nothing to worry about. They never do it. Well, you know what? I'm not all that worried. I'm somewhat worried, but not all that worried about uh, North Korea here. I'm more worried about the president of the United States, to be frank. And I don't have a lot of confidence right now that his military leaders would stop him if he chose to attack in any way. And it doesn't have to be just nuclear weapons. It could be in any way. And it would be just devastating, devastating, as Serencioni says on the uh, on the Korean Peninsula. You know, a lot of the a lot of those same experts, by the way, telling us uh, last year that, oh, you know what? Trump will never win the election. Also telling us, yeah, don't worry about things now. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Let's uh, get to a few calls here. Uh, who are you more worried about, Kim Jong-un or Donald J. Trump? Barbara in Los Angeles, welcome to the broadcast. Well, this may seem hopeless, but I did call the White House comment line and say that I, they don't that Trump does not have my permission to start a nuclear war with Good. North Korea, and they took my call. So I urge people, at least while we still have some way to get to the president, yeah. you know, to do that. Do you, do you have the uh, White House phone number nearby, by any chance, Barbara? Yeah. What is it? 202 202-456-1111. 202-456-1111. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Uh, it, it, it couldn't hurt calling your uh, calling the White House, calling your senators, calling your congressmen, letting them know how you feel about this. It could not hurt. Thanks, Barbara. I appreciate the uh, appreciate the call. Let me go to uh, James in uh, Los Angeles. Oh, eight one eight nine eight five five seven three five is our number. James in Los Angeles. Hey, James, welcome to the broadcast. Who are you more more worried about, Trump or Kim? Definitely Trump. Yeah. Why? Yeah, definitely. Well, I was I was an intern at the White House during the Clinton administration, and you know I've seen a very an, a White House that had been functional. Where currently we don't have a very uh, we have a very dysfunctional White House at this time. Yep, uh, just very poor leadership. An individual who is in power that will not take any advice from any others, like all of his advisors. Some mm -hmm. of the advisors are, do not also have any experience. And while it seems like this president, unfortunately, is one that is behaving like he owns the country now, I'm running my company, my company is America, yep. and I can fire anybody, and you do, as I say. But unfortunately, we're in a situation now where his behaviors is, you know, he has, if you look at the the various narcissistic behaviors, and I'm not trying to say he has that disorder, but there's characteristics of that. And 
when you have two leaders of countries who have the ability, I would not put them past them, but I'm more concerned about the White House because of the dysfunction, the poor leadership, and hopefully Congress will step up. Hopefully people will start complaining to Congress, calling Congress, calling the representative, sending emails, and they're the only ones that's going to be able to stop him if they can. Yep. He could just get too upset and say, you know what, I don't care about Congress, I'm going to do it as I please, and then, of course, he has the codes, and of course, somebody has to follow through on those codes, but he wouldn't be able to personally do it himself, and whether or not they would follow that command is something else, but I'm definitely more concerned about the behavior of this White House. And he's definitely just destroying the reputation of America as we speak. And more and more, it's going down. And who knows what's going to happen. But hopefully Congress will step up and put a stop to it. Thanks, James. I appreciate that. Uh, those thoughts. And uh, I've got some uh, thoughts on Congress that I want to get to in a second and their role in this. I appreciate the call, James. 818-985-5735. Um, after uh, Trump had warned North Korea on Tuesday that the U.S. would meet any new North Korean threats with fire and fury. He took to Twitter today uh, to tout the U.S. nuclear arsenal in a series of tweets. That make you feel any better? He said, my first order as president was to renovate and modernize our nuclear arsenal. It is now far stronger and more powerful than ever before. He said, hopefully we will never have to use this power, but there will never be a time that we are not the most powerful nation in the world. Now, uh, you'll be shocked to learn that Trump's tweets are not actually true. Uh, an executive memorandum. He, so he said, my first order as president was to renovate and modernize our nuclear arsenal. It's now stronger and more powerful. Well, OK. Uh, an executive memorandum, not an order, but a memorandum, uh, is slightly different. He didn't issue an order. He issued a memorandum for a review of the, nation, of the nation's nuclear arsenal. And it was not even his first act as president. Trump's first executive order was actually one on, quote, minimizing the economic burden of Obamacare. He then signed several other executive orders, about three or four of them, and other uh, presidential memoranda, about four or five of them. Before a week or so later, he signed a memorandum to start a review of the nation's nuclear arsenal. It specifically instructed Defense Secretary Jim Mattis to assess the country's current nuclear readiness, and he would start that review, uh, which uh, typically occurs every eight years, in, in what is called a nuclear posture review. He had instructed uh, both Mattis and the Office of Management and Budget to prepare a proposal for the fiscal year 2018 budget. The memoranda uh, did not actually instruct the Defense Department to carry out any renovations or related up updates to our nuclear arsenal, as Trump seemed to suggest. And then it wasn't until April that Mattis announced he would start that review. Not until April. The results of that review are due by the end of the year. So it's unlikely that any ma major changes at all have occurred with our nuclear arsenal in that time, whether Trump knows it or not, or if he's just choosing to lie about it. And as to modernization, uh, President Barack Obama had ordered an overhaul, actually ordered an overhaul of the nuclear arsenal in the 2016 budget, a process that takes years to complete. The Congressional Budget Office, the CBO, has estimated that a full overhaul of the country's cur uh, current nuclear arsenal 
will take at least 30 years to complete at a price tag of $1 trillion. The biggest upgrades are not scheduled to actually take place until after 2024, at which point the next president could choose to abandon the project altogether. Trump's insistence that the country's nuclear arsenal is now far stronger and more powerful than ever before, in fact, is wildly inaccurate. Think Progress explains that a full upgrade will not be finished until around 2047. But more to the point, the Pentagon only just now began its nuclear posture review in April. And only after that report is complete at the end of the year can officials even begin working on upgrading the country's nuclear systems in any way. But am I splitting nuclear hairs here? 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Going to get to more calls in a moment. One more point here. Senator Dan Sullivan, Republican of Arkansas, since we were talking, uh, uh, that caller James was talking about uh, Congress here and, and putting their hopes on Congress. Senator Dan Sullivan, Republican from Arkansas, on Tuesday evening warned that President Donald Trump would need approval from Congress if he wanted to preemptively go to war against North Korea. He said, Naturally, on Fox News, if one of the military options that the administration is looking at is a preemptive war on the Korean peninsula launched by the United States, that would require the authorization of Congress. Article one of the U.S. Constitution is very clear about that, said Senator Sullivan of Alaska. Did I say Arkansas? I think I meant Alaska. Uh, Sullivan said, obviously, as the commander in chief, the president can react to attacks on the country in a way that he has broader authority on that, I was mentioning the discussions of a preemptive war on the peninsula that clearly goes in the realm of the authorization of Congress. Well, here's the deal, Senator Sullivan. Uh, no, Donald Trump does not require authorization of Congress. Y'all gave that up. You gave that up. Remember? <clears throat> Remember those uh, 59 Tomahawk missiles? that he lobbed at a Syrian airbase just a few months back. Remember that? And you guys said absolutely nothing about it. A preemptive war against the sovereign nation. You guys, in fact, lauded it in, uh, in the Senate. Not just Republicans, but Democrats alike. Not to mention the corporate media. All who said, hey, it's fantastic what he did. Nobody mentioned the Constitution at that point, did they? So, uh, Senator, you gave up your right to object, to claim that only Congress can authorize war. Trump already knows that he can do whatever the hell he wants to do. He's the commander in chief. He thinks he can use the military any way that he wants, because when he did so last time in violation of U.S. law, of international law and of the U.S. Constitution, you guys all said, hey, way to go, Mr. President. Nice job. Keep up the good work. Keep bombing sovereign nations without permission from Congress, without a declaration of war from Congress as required by the U.S. Constitution. You guys didn't want that last time, so why do you want it now? And it's one of the reasons that I was so out outraged at the time by Trump's attacks on Syria when nobody else seemed to give a damn about it, frankly. I mean, we just gave permission to the commander in chief to attack any country at any time for any reason, apparently. And you all sat back in Congress and the Senate and the U.S. House and said nothing about it. Even uh, in a response, uh, by, a way, by the way, to a dubious report about an attack on Syrians where no Americans were threatened in any way. 
Now you got a guy, a sovereign nation, whether you like the nation or not, threatening attacks on the U.S., and you think Donald Trump is going to sit around and wait for Congress to declare war? Are you out of your mind? Yeah, the Constitution matters, but it matters all the time, not just when you're in the mood for it. A quick break, and we're back with your calls. Lots of them, I promise. 818-985-5735. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is the Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Are you, are you, are you ready for the great atomic power? Will you rise and meet your savior in the air? Will you shout or will you cry when the fire comes on high? Are you ready for the great atomic power? Yeah. Yeah. Are you ready for it? Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Oh, and today, by the way. Marks uh, 72 years to the day since the U.S. atomic bombing of Nagasaki when we killed 70,000 people with an atomic bomb. That was just three days after the U.S. killed 140,000 people with its uh, first use of a nuclear weapon in Hiroshima. Welcome back to the broadcast. Taking your calls, 818-985-5735 on this uh, North Korea situation. Who do you fear more, Donald Trump or Kim Jong-un? New Zealand's premier admonished Trump for remarks that uh, are, quote, not helpful in a, quote, very tense environment. Australia's prime minister said, quote, maximum economic pressure was the only way to deal with North Korea in Japan where Nagasaki was marking the 72nd anniversary of the U.S. atomic bombing of the city, Mayor Tomi, uh, Tamahisa Tao said anxiety was spreading, quote, that in the not-too-distant future, these weapons could be used again. Associated Press is reporting uh, just minutes ago that North Korea's military calls Donald Trump's threat a, quote, load of nonsense. And adds, quote, only absolute force can work on Trump. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Steve in, uh, oh, in Richard Nixon territory in your Belinda. Hey, Steve, welcome to the broadcast. Hi, yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for putting me on. Sure. Yeah, well, I'm an oddity. I'm, I'm a Democrat down here in your Belinda. But, uh, I know you are. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few of you there, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it uh, it is frustrating. It seems like we've got two juveniles that now have their potentially their fingers on the atomic button. You yep. know, yep. They both re- they both act the same way. Well, I'll it's tell you that the difference. Uh, they they both act the same way, except that Kim, in his defense and in North Korea's defense, they have been making these threats for decades, and they have <laughs> not actually acted on them. Uh, U.S. Uh, and certainly Donald Trump has acted on various threats, and so yeah, they're they're both kind of madmen, it seems to me. But 
Well, uh, you, you fear them both equally, I guess. Well, not, not exactly. I'm more worried about Trump because he seems to just, things just pop out of him. You know, he has this thought during the day and all of a sudden, boom, it just pops out. It doesn't seem to get run by any advisories. He doesn't mm-hmm. ask anybody, hey, maybe here's a policy we could approach. Yep. Uh, but, you know, and North Korea, here's, here's my suggestion. Yeah. How about we start thinking about communist North Korea the way that the capitalists here have been thinking about communist China? as a place to do some business. Maybe that would give them something to think about over there where they'd actually want to cooperate and get busy, you know, building widgets or something. I appreciate the thought, Steve. Thank you for that. I appreciate you calling in. 818-985-5735. Julian in Sherman Oaks. Hey, Julian, welcome to the broadcast. Hey, Brad. How you doing? Oh, okay. Well, listen, I just will tell you, I, uh, I fear Trump much, much more. And, uh, I haven't really heard anybody talk about it yet today, but um, the one thing that really scares me is that uh, the investigation into Trump and members of his family and just considering his psychological makeup, um, you know, somebody like him, I could totally see starting an unnecessary war and going full bore into it just to take the heat off of him. Yeah, uh, and that's what really scares me the most about this situation. Yeah, and and for good reason. We talked about it yesterday on on uh, yesterday's broadcast. You can download it at bradblog.com. We sort of went through all of these polls uh, where his base of support, yeah, his his own uh, uh, approval ratings are continue to plummet. But now it's actually some of his strongest uh, base members uh, are are uh, the, the support from them is now ero- eroding. So yeah, that is a very serious concern. And at the same time, I was looking at the uh, at his polls as compared to uh, a previous presidents and, you know, going down. They always tend to go down from inauguration down through the first year. And I noticed uh, the numbers compared to George W. Bush. And in just a few weeks from now, during George W. Bush's president, the presidency, there was a huge spike where his numbers were going into the toilet, and boom, all of a sudden, for some reason, on September 11th, they went through the roof, and they stayed there for many years. I'm yes. hoping that uh, Donald Trump doesn't see that same chart that I saw. I'm right with you. Thanks, uh, Julian. I, I appreciate that call. Let me get to, uh, oh, what happened to that caller who wondered why I, is he still there? Oh, shoot. Hey, uh, there was a caller who said to, was asking, why do I stay in America? Is that what the call? Uh, no, give us a call back. I think it was Michael or something like that. Call us. I'd love to hear from you, but you got to do it quick because I got a lot of folks to get to. Lou in Moreno Valley, welcome to the broadcast. Yeah, how you doing? Oh, I'm okay. Listen, uh, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be more worried about Trump than North Korea because the North Korean spending on on uh, military is about well, it's supposed to be ten billion. But their gross national product is only twenty billion a year. Right. So, I mean, that that that's I, I kind of question now. Gross, the spending on uh, uh, the the military, the, the size of the military available active duty is about the same. But the quality of, of the spending, the United States has about six hundred billion, you know, spending on military budget. So we have a really large disparity between the quality of. of you know, the military. Well, we have a, a large disparity. Thanks for that call, Lou. We have a... a yeah, there's, no, there's, yeah. no way, there's no way Korea's going to attack us. I mean, there's no... It's just not going to happen. So, 
you got to be more worried about the underlying motives, like that previous caller. Yeah. Of, of this thing, you know that that's that, that you know that's just the facts. You can look it up, and you know. Okay, thank you for taking I appreciate the call, Lou. 818-985-5735 is our phone number, 818-985-KPFK. Let me go to, uh, let's see, uh, Jacob in in Temecula. Hey, Jacob, welcome to the broadcast, sir. How's it going? Oh, it's going okay. Okay. Yeah, first of all, I was just going to say, you know, anybody that supports this tough guy rhetoric that Trump is doing, you know, they could uh, sign up for the military and get stationed in Guam, you know, be fine with us. <laughs> uh, also, uh, well, yeah, and by, know, by the way, you know, just to be clear, Jacob, uh, it's not just military that are in Guam. There's, you know, about 200,000 non-military Americans that also live in Guam. But anyway, go ahead. Oh, yeah, that was my next point is, yeah. I mean, the fact that uh, nuclear missiles are even a viable solution to a threat at this point kind of speaks to the profound ignorance of mankind these days, you know? It does. And uh, this it, it, it underscores what I've actually I've been thinking about uh, also for the past 12, 24 hours on this. The. You know, we always think the the nuclear deterrent uh, that, oh, this, uh, you know, as long as we have nuclear weapons, no one is going to mess with us and we're the U.S., so we're actually not going to use them as anything other than a, a deterrent. Well, you know what? If nothing else, I think that Donald Trump's presidency should remind the nation, should remind the world that, no, we are not necessarily always going to have reasonable people in control of that button. And uh, to me, that alone is, frankly, a reason to get rid of all nuclear weapons somehow at some point down the road. Because, uh, you know what, if, if you can't trust the U.S. to use them responsibly or to not use them responsibly, uh, you know, you, you can't really obviously trust anyone in the world. And so, I, you know, leaving them, leave, leaving them in place, a nuclear arsenal that can blow up the world, I don't know how many hundreds and thou- or thousands of times over and, you know, hoping that, hey, at least we won't elect a guy like Donald Trump who might use them. I, I think you're just playing with fire. Just me. Yeah, I mean... The fact is that it, it seems to me that, you know, the U.S. and Russia created this situation where nuclear power gives you uh, some kind of clout, you know, yep. uh, around the world. So we, we should be the leader in getting rid of that. Yep. And by the way, uh, thanks, Jacob. I appreciate that call. Uh, nuclear weapons, they, uh, they work. You know, that's why we don't attack nations that have nuclear weapons. So North Korea knows what it's doing. Of course, they're going to move to a nuclear weapon. I would... I mean, if, you know, if you want to stay safe, get nukes. Whoa, Neil in Corona. Welcome to the broadcast. Hi, thank you for taking the call. Sure. Um, I think it's, well, it is actually far more complex and greater an issue than these two personalities. Mm -hmm. The real issue is really the dialectics. Uh, What I really fear is the imperialistic uh, powers with their think tanks that are behind all these occurrence of how history is our history is our uh, history is being made. But that said, um, you know the way that the mainstream media frames the question and listen to their nomenclature, it's, aston- it's, it's astonishing. How is it that when a small bully does it, it's a provocation and a threat? 
Mm-hmm. I mean, which country has more stockpile of nuclear weapons than anybody else? Yep. Who has tested them more than anybody else? North Korea, and now, I'm no fan of North Korea any more than I'm a fan of Trump. Mm-hmm. But North Korea, if you put yourself in their situation, they've been looking into the gun barrel of American threat for more than half a century. Yeah. And they have every reason to fear. And they did what they felt they had to do. I am, uh, like you, I have zero, I mean, we should work towards a zero tolerance for any nuclear weapon. But we really have to understand the situation from a dialectical standpoint. It's far more than there's two clowns. It's, it's, it's a system yeah. that is at work behind these these guys. Yeah, and I appreciate yeah, yeah I, I appreciate your your reframing that and making that point. I think it's an important one. I think it's an important one for people to understand that you know, we've been uh, every day now for uh, weeks, months, maybe years, uh, you know, flying those. They're talking about attacking Guam. Uh, we've been flying bombers out of Guam, flying it over uh, the Korean Peninsula, over and around. We've got gunships there. I can only imagine, imagine if North Korea, imagine if any country in the world was flying bombers over, you know, Alaska, was pointing gunships towards uh, uh, Seattle. How would exactly. we respond to that? And right. exactly the point. Uh, yeah. Right. And so when yeah. he says, when when Kim Jong Un says, you know, hey, people, we are being threatened by the U.S. to turn around and then make good on that threat by saying we are going to unleash fire and fury on you. Right. <sighs> and we also, yeah, we ought not to forget that in the 90s, Clinton was very close to actually invading North Korea. It took Jimmy Carter to intervene. Mm. And, you know, if you have that kind of a history from North Korean side, yep. again, what would you do? Yep. You see, right. So we ought to get rid of our weapons, uh, our nuclear uh, weapons. We ought to uh, convince everybody else in the world to do the same. And then we can talk. But, I mean, we're just framing the question the wrong way. Not, I'm not criticizing you. I'm talking about the mm-hmm. main line. Yeah, no. Yeah. I, I I appreciate it, and uh, thanks for that call, Woniel. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, no, I, I'm I'm just trying to point out that you know I've seen so many people, and hopefully we're going to talk with uh, someone who uh, on tomorrow's show, uh, our guest uh, who who is if we can work out the timing, uh, who has spent decades, frankly, in uh, in East Asia covering North Korea, South Korea, and that whole area, uh, seeing, uh, you know, what has been going on there for so many years and get some thoughts from from him on that. But, you know, I've just seen a lot of experts saying, yeah, you know what, we've seen this for years, nothing to worry about. Uh, but I, I'm not worried about North Korea. In truth, I am more worried about Donald Trump. we got to take a quick break here. Uh, if you're on the line, hang on. I'll try to get to as many of you as I can. Uh, 818-985-5735 is our phone number, but I want to get to a quick break and get back to the Green News Report because it is our 800th episode of the Green News Report, so I don't want to run late and miss it today. So uh, stand by. We'll be back. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Given the outcome of the 2016 election, we really need your support now more than ever. Progressive media outlets have been under attack for years, even during supposedly progressive administrations. We are now facing a whole new world and real alternatives to the mainstream corporate media. You know, the folks who got it all wrong from the jump. 
must be able to continue the fight for all of us. This is not a drill. It never was. Please consider a donation to our work here on the Bradcast by stopping by bradblog.com donate to help out however you can. A monthly pledge is greatly appreciated, but anything you can share will keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Hey, Des. Hey. All of a sudden, Melt With You has an entirely new meaning today, doesn't it? Hey, but you know, nuclear winter could totally cancel out global warming there you for go. a little while. Just like you to always <laughs> see the upside. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. That, of course, is Desi Doyen, uh, who is, uh, we are celebrating today, I guess, our 800th episode of the Green News Report. Yep. Some bad idea that you brought to me about eight or nine years ago. And we're all still stuck with it. Yep. 800 episodes. Uh, bringing you independent green news uh, comment, uh, analysis, what do I say? And snarky comment. <laughs> I can't even remember. I've done it 800 times. I can't even remember. Six minutes at a time over all of these years when the mainstream corporate media would not bring news on any of this stuff. They still don't adequately cover the threat posed by uh, our climate crisis. They're getting better. Yeah. But they're still not there. Not nearly fast enough. Some uh, quick math I did here, Des. Uh, over 800 episodes, uh, six minutes at a time, right? So that's 4,800 minutes of the Green News Report. That's 80 hours. If you listened to all of them nonstop, back to back, and I suggest you do, it would take you uh, three days and about eight hours. Yep. Enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Well, it would be totally worth it. Because if only you'd, yes, you'd be pretty snarked out by now, I suspect, uh, by the end of those three days. But you, you, you might as well, you might also be freaked out about it. And uh, you might, you know, care about it as much as Desi and I do at this point. You'd also hear quite a story, I think, over the past eight and a half or whatever years it's been, that uh, that I think history in the not very distant future will uh, describe as a sad and shameful tale to our kids and our grandkids. Yes, for the, um, for the lack of action. But, hey, we're working on it, and we'll get there one way or the other. Well, uh, we will have found that we could have done something when we had a chance, and we didn't. But, you know, I don't want to depress anybody. Let's get to it. Our latest Green News Report. And combined with some quite high humidity, it's particularly dangerous. Europe grapples with relentless heat wave. Flash drought causing crop failure in the Great Plains. Trump's Department of Agriculture nixes the phrase climate change. Plus... The bottom line is always front and center when you're a shareholder-owned company. The electric utility industry knew about global warming in 1968, but chose to lie about it and build more coal plants anyway. Because, of course, they did. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Is that an iceberg the size of Delaware breaking off the Antarctic? Ice shelf, or are you just happy to see me? Both. This is your 800th Green News Report. I'm gonna soak up the sun. 
Okay, Desi Doyen, it seems you have failed. <laughs> How so? Well, this is our 800th Green News Report, and the globe is still warming. Yes, I have failed in stopping the global climate crisis. See? Now, uh, for people who don't know, we started the Green News Report 800 episodes ago, but even prior to that, when I was filling in as a guest host on a station up in San Francisco called Green 960, they had just changed their name from The Quake to Green 960. They were owned by Clear Channel, which now calls itself iHeartRadio. That station is no longer there because Clear Channel flipped all their progressive talk stations to right-wing talk. But the Green News Report is still here 800 episodes later. So congratulations, Desi Doyen. Thank you. You and, too. And thanks to those of you who have stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us crank out 800 episodes. And we'll thank you for doing that again as we move on to 801. Woo! But beyond that, what do you have for us today, Desi Doyen? Well, first up, Europe is grappling with record-breaking relentless heat across the continent that's been nicknamed Lucifer by the media. The BBC reports Lucifer is the worst heat wave to hit Europe since the deadly 2003 heat wave that killed tens of thousands. This time, officials have quickly implemented emergency response measures, and there have been only six reported deaths due to coinciding wildfires. Some areas hit a record 117 degrees Fahrenheit over the mm. weekend. Combined with high humidity and high overnight temperatures, that is especially dangerous since so few buildings in Europe have air conditioning. Officials say the high heat and drought has also caused more than a billion dollars in crop failure. Gosh, I wish someone had warned us 800 episodes ago. <laughs> Meanwhile, here in the U.S., half of the wheat crop in Montana and the Dakotas has been killed by a flash drought. A flash drought is a rapid onset of intense drought and heat so severe and rapid that plants and livestock simply cannot adjust. The Great Falls Tribune reports rainfall in some areas is more than 75% below normal. It's forcing ranchers to sell off cattle and farmers to quickly harvest what remains of the wheat crop. Losses could reach up to $1 billion. That sort of crop failure is exactly what scientists warned us about decades ago, but you know, Still ignoring them. Climate change intensifies and accelerates the effects of crop-killing droughts, but U.S. farmers won't be hearing about that from the U.S. Department of Agriculture. The Guardian newspaper reports that internal emails obtained from the USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service show that staff early on in the Trump administration were told to avoid using terms like climate change and instead say things like weather extremes and resilience in their communications with farmers. Good luck to you, farmers. Finally, it's been two years since investigations revealed that executives at ExxonMobil knew as early as 1977 that burning their product would lead to dangerous global warming. And yet... Exxon chose instead to fund climate change denial groups and mislead the public and its investors. Now, a new investigation has uncovered documents showing that the electric utility industry knew, too. The utility industry was warned back in 1968 by its own researchers that fossil fuel burning power plants contributed to climate change. But according to lead researcher Dave Anderson of the Energy and Policy Institute, in an interview with the broadcast, the utility industry, just like Exxon, instead chose to build more coal-fired power plants and, just like Exxon, fund climate change denial groups in order to protect their profits. The utility industry, over quite a few years after that, continued to invest heavily in new coal-fired power generation. So they were living with the legacy of those investments, knowing that they had a lifespan of 30 to 40 or 50 years. Um, and, of course, 
the bottom line is always front and center when you're a shareholder-owned company. I wonder if the bottom line will still be front and center when our crops are wiped out, our coasts are ravaged, and it's too hot to go outside damn near anywhere in the world. Yes, we will be living with the legacy of the choices that they've made for decades. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. And once again, my thanks to those of you who help us keep going through 800 episodes by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report. Still crazy. Thank you, Desi. That was very nice. 800 episodes. I'd like to say we'll do 800 more, but that sounds exhausting. Uh, 818-985-5735. I've got just a a, a couple of very short minutes here, so if you can make your uh, thoughts very quick, I'll try to get to as many of you as I can. Roger in Anaheim. Hey, Roger, welcome to the broadcast. Your thoughts, sir? Oh, hi, Brad. I'm Korea. Uh, it's obvious that they just want to be treated like a normal nation. They're not going to attack anybody. They, like you've said that before, they just are trying to develop a deterrent. And nuclear bombs, I mean, you just had this treaty to ban 122 nations signed it. And I heard that um, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea had signed it, too. They didn't attend the conference, but I couldn't confirm that. They certainly didn't sign it at the conference. I thought that would be a good note. All NATO nations, of course, all claim, even if they have their own nuclear bombs, that they need the U.S. nuclear umbrella for their security. Yep. Thank you, Roger. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, nukes uh, work for defense. And that's uh, clearly a message that we're sending around the world. Dan in Goleta, welcome to the broadcast, Dan. Uh, yeah, I have a quick comment. Um, like, why are we worried about uh, Kim Jong's uh, missiles? Because didn't we just drop $70 billion on our anti-missile system that's going to protect us from this threat? Uh, yeah, nothing to worry about, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> uh, didn't we just spend all that money to solve this problem? You, yeah, well, uh, yeah, and those defensive uh, missile spent. shields, yeah, they, they don't work. That's, uh, but they work for the, uh, for the, uh, the arms uh, corporations, the defense contractors, they sure do. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate Bye-bye. that call. Uh, let me get to uh, Mark in a Thousand Oaks very quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so a lot of your calls won't like this, but I'm hoping that if we can survive this, uh, I haven't called since the election. And I'm hoping this will be a, a serious learning curve. And what I mean by this is the protest vote. Uh, when I used to call, I was a serious Bernie supporter. And I kept saying, no, 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 you got to vote for Hillary, even if you got to swallow it. I, and, of course, we know what happened there. But my point is... Mark, uh, Mark i got to get out. I think you're trying to say this should be a teachable moment for third-party voters. But I don't have time because uh, we're up against the clock. I appreciate that. For my part, I don't ever blame voters for voting. Desi Doyen, our producer, thank you very much. G, our soundboard operator, thank you. And thanks to all of you uh, callers. Sorry I couldn't get to everyone today. Uh, if you missed any portion of today's program, download it at bradblog.com. Drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck.